Hey guys, <clears throat> I want to give it just a few minutes or seconds. Hopefully someone will get on and let me tag a friend here. I'm going to tag my ministry helper, Darina. That way we can make sure you can hear me. Now how do I get this off? There we go. Let's see if someone gets on because last time I spoke for like 16 minutes on our last urgent education and no one could hear me. So that was not fun. I don't want to do that again. So if you get on here and you can hear me, please let me know. If you get on here, you cannot hear me, please let me know. I see that somebody's on. If you could tell me that you can hear me, uh, I would appreciate it. And while we're waiting for a response, let's go to Daniel chapter 3. But I really need the person who, that was weird, that is on to please tell me if you can hear me. Can anybody hear me out there? Daniel chapter 3, while we're waiting, can anybody hear me? Well, hmm, I guess we'll go ahead and go. Um, and hopefully I don't waste my time. Uh, talking for 16 minutes and <laughs> no one can hear me. Okay, so in, um, oh, I know what I'll do. In uh, Daniel chapter 3, you know, we've been talking about the Daniel company. And um, tell me if you can hear me on Facebook. All right, we'll see if we can get someone to, to let me know. But we've been in the Daniel Company, and I wanted to um, do our study earlier today, but this is the first opportunity I have. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. And uh, so this is after Nebuchadnezzar had the dream about the statue, uh, statue, and then we have Daniel interpreting his word. He's promoted to a place of authority as well as influence. And then in chapter 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had set up. and. Um, Okay, so I am heard. Very good. Now, this is a, an interesting turn of events, and this is going to help those of you that have been frustrated in the past ministering to those that don't know the Lord or helping someone that doesn't know the Lord only to find that your kindness or the words you spoke were then used to either further their own agenda or further their own sin. And... Uh, so here, you know, my personal opinion is I think this statue was uh, a response to the dream that instead of him heeding the words of the dream that you're the, you know, first nation and there'll be, you know, three more after you, um, he takes it as an opportunity to exalt himself and he creates a statue of himself. Now, when Daniel interpreted the dream, he made it clear to the king that the only reason he was in authority, the only reason he was in power is because God put him there. Now, that's a kingly deal. When you're in democratic governments, it's by the vote of the people. 
So those are two separate types of government, which Christians would do well to understand because by not voting, you're voting. And um, we're not a theocracy or a, um, a autocracy. <laughs> Got that word out. Okay. All that Nebuchadnezzar heard was that he and his kingdom is the greatest. Okay. That's all he heard. So he built a statue or an image. Now, basically the size of this image was three stretch limos. Okay. And it was about as wide as a patio umbrella. And he also ordered that all his administration come to the image's dedication. Now, Daniel was absent. I don't know if he was off doing some kingdom business, but his three friends that he asked to join him in his administrative duties, which later they might have been like, wow, (laughs) you know, thanks a lot, Daniel. You know, we help you out and we end up almost dead, you know. Uh, So obviously those are not job benefits any of us would want. Uh, But it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I kind of wondered if Daniel's absence was actually orchestrated or if the king at the very least took advantage of it because he would know Daniel would not approve of this whole situation. Um, So that's just kind of an interesting thought I had. But in verse 4 to 7, it says, Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, does anybody know what a zither is? Lyre, or lyre, harp, pipes, or other musical instruments, uh, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I want to go uh, at this from the perspective of the marketplace minister, the Daniel Company, the influencer of influencers. Um, so we're not sure. Historians are not sure. There's no uh, nothing that tells us in Scripture if the image was after Nebuchadnezzar's likeness, but I think there might be a hint, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, He may have even formed it after the image that was in his dream, or maybe even of a demon god, uh, Bel, which he worshipped. But either way, it was idolatrous. So just to recap real quick, you have where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. No one can tell him his dream or interpret it except Daniel. Daniel tells him the only way I can interpret this dream is because of God. He then makes it very plain that the only reason Nebuchadnezzar is in office or is a king is because of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar's response, which to me would be very frustrating, was to take that word and make an idol. You know, it's like, guys, guys, now he's pagan, and that's what pagans do, but still, it's like, God told you that the only reason you're in power is because he placed you there, and here he is making a statue in honor of himself. So, you know, again, if you deal with people who don't know the Lord in the workplace that take advantage of your kindness, or use the word to propagate some agenda they have, don't get frustrated. That's just what happens in the marketplace. So in verse 8, it says, But some of the astrologers went to the king, and they informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down 
and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, blah, 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 blah. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. You know, you just always have those tattletales. You know what I mean? You just always have those tattletales. Those people that in their blind ambition, you know, report on other people. Um, now, I mean, if you see a crime, obviously you want to, you know, call the police and report it. But I'm talking about, you know, in the workplace, you have those people that sometimes will even make stuff up because they want your position. Or maybe they actually believe that it was an affront to their king for these Jews not to bow and to obey the king. So whether their motive was out of sincerity or out of ambition, I don't know. Either way, they probably thought that they might get a little bit of a reward from it. But what's even more egregious, so just think to, back to this. These are the same people that Daniel's interpretation of the dream saved. Remember? All the astrologers, all of those people were going to be killed. And Daniel didn't find out about it until they showed up at his house to get him and his friends because they are a part of the wise men of Babylon. And so these same people that Daniel saved or God saved, narked. It's like that. You know that guy that, I don't know if he's in heaven or not, but I just really want to have this conversation with him. I don't know if you guys think this way. Remember the pool of Bethesda and the Lord walks straight to a guy and he says, do you want to be healed? Then the guy starts whining. Well, you know, I've been around uh, here for 30 years and I've not been able to get in that there water. And I'm like, wow, 30 years. I mean, you would think a little bit of innovation here, you know, like get there early or maybe get a plan you know, in place for you get to get in the water, which that may be why God said, Jesus said, do you really want to be healed? Okay. So Jesus heals them. And then he finds them later in the crowd. And he said, the sin you're doing, you need to stop or something worse is going to come upon you. That guy narks him out to the Pharisees. I'm like, nark, don't like you. <laughs> Obviously Jesus loves him. I'm still working through that whole process. But anyway, so you have these people that Daniel helped, and this is key for you guys to understand, for me to understand the marketplace, the business and the political realm, that there is no such thing as loyalty, at least not in the world system, among the ambitious and the competitive, okay? If you think that your kind acts are helping someone um, that maybe is in danger of losing their job, that they're going to return that same um you know, favor towards you or that you're immune from someone ratting you out, that's naive, okay? So, you know, we see that type of thing even among Christians. Uh, how much more is it going to happen among those who don't know the Lord or don't have a grid for kingdom principles? This is why Jesus said to be innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. The innocent part is that we don't pursue evil. It doesn't enter our minds to because we have an innocent heart now because of Jesus. But the wise as serpent literally means, let me give you some words, shrewd, discreet, of excellence, and we have to understand how the game is played. 
It doesn't mean we have to play it. We just have to understand. Because if you think that people are going to return to you the same acts of kindness that you gave, then you did not read the story that the same people that Jesus healed and taught to for three and a half years were in the crowd saying, crucify him. Only 12 were left and all of them ran except for one and one denied him. So our giving and our showing favor to others uh, has to be free of strings. You cannot have strings attached and you have to be smart and understand they may not return that to you. Okay, because people are fickle. Uh, let's see here. The other point I want to make is it's crucial to work as unto the Lord. The word for work or labor and the word for worship actually come from the same Hebrew uh, root word. So our work is our worship to the Lord if we do it as unto him, as well as we can worship him in song and in spirit. So if you work unto the Lord, your heart can remain free from any offense that might come up from situations like we're reading about here. Um, especially when people you thought would return the favor actually betray you. And that's another way of killing your ego as well. Okay, so then we have um, verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. He ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you more, uh, one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Now listen to this. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. See, that's why I turned into an animal and ate grass for seven years. The word rage here, where it says he flew into a rage, is violent anger. It's only used once in the word at this point, okay? It's the response, now listen to this, of being disobeyed, but also the response of a person who views himself more highly than he ought. Isn't that interesting? Christians do it all the time. It's like we get surprised when people offend us. We get surprised when people talk about us. We get surprised when we can't get along with everybody. It's like, what planet do you live on? I mean, first of all, Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come. But the secret is to not think more highly of yourself so that if people offend you, you don't even notice or it can't stick to you. I remember one time I was at this event and this girl, I guess, dissed me. I didn't even notice. And I was telling my friend about our conversation and she said, oh, didn't that offend you? Like she was being rude. Like that would have offended me. All of a sudden I'm like, yeah, that ain't very nice. So I was all offended. And then Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? You know, it's like you were fine and now someone's pointing out that you need to be offended. So you need to stop. It's <laughs> like, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Now, um, violent anger from people who view themselves more highly than they ought. We also see a similar response to the future Antichrist in the book of Revelation when people that refused to worship his image. It's almost eerie how similar it is. In Revelation 13, 14 through 18, I just want to read this really quick. And with all the miracles, he, the Antichrist, was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. Oh, that would actually be the false prophet. The first beast is the Antichrist. 
He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so they could speak. So now we're taking it up a whole nother notch. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beasts, the number of his man, 666, or number of men. Now, I don't know like how the, the statue is given life or how the first beast is resurrected from the dead. I don't know if it's like AI. I don't know if it's, you know, some form of technology we don't see or if it's like a, a supernatural miracle. The only thing that we know is that the Antichrist will do lying signs and wonders. So that means they're meant to be deceptive in nature uh, and only God has life. So I'm thinking there's probably something to do with uh, some form of technology, maybe a hologram or something like that, or maybe even just a demonic power. But the statue is able to speak and anyone that doesn't worship it will die. And by the way, this is a first time an idol will speak that we see in scripture because a lot of the Old Testament prophets, they would make fun of people that worshiped idols because they couldn't talk. They're like, why are you worshiping stone and wood? It can't speak. It's not alive. It's not a true God. And, um, and then in the future, we'll have a, an idol that actually does talk. Creepy. Now, on top of this, we also see the markets are taken over and they're controlled through technology, allowing the Antichrist to require everyone, excuse me, to receive some type of mark or, um, you know, stamp of, of some nature. Now, the word for mark is a mark cut in or stamped on. I'm pretty much in agreement that might be like the chip deal. Um, I'm still eyeing that a little bit, but that could be one of the things. But the wrist, by the way, is one of the best places for those uh, chips because it doesn't get too hot or too cold and mess with the circuitry. Um, and then the forehead can mean just above the eye. Uh, so that's interesting. Now, what we see obviously here with Nebuchadnezzar is that his statue is a, a smaller scale, but it's definitely a preview. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come. And because of his hubris, the three Jewish officials are in danger. And by the way, the word for statue or image was used to describe the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but also the distortion of his face in rage. Isn't that interesting? So he basically became the demonic. Uh, I, I find that very interesting. Uh, now, the most insulting and proof that Nebuchadnezzar was full of self-worship and pride and all of those things is he said, what God is going to rescue you from my power? Okay, that, that was his, his deal. Um, this can be very disappointing again when, you know, you've ministered to someone and they act like this. So this now has become a direct challenge to God because God doesn't play like that. And he's about to show up. But you're going to come into orbit, or maybe you have, in the marketplace with some very evil and wicked people. And it's important that we understand that. And it's important that we understand they have an agenda. And more than likely, it has to do with their needs and desires and their um, pride and things like that. So, uh, again, 
Don't help people. Don't be led and help people and then be surprised if they don't return the um, favor. Now, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now, I like this. So they're speaking honorably. They're addressing him as your majesty. But they're also saying, we're never going to do this. And we want you to understand, and we're making it very clear, we will never do this. Uh, and, and you know, it's very straightforward. Uh, and so they're willing to um, give their lives. They're willing to die on this hill. And, you know, when I was studying this, I was like, what is it that causes them to have such courage? What is it? Here's a secret to true courage. It's doing the little things when no one's looking. If you go back to Daniel and his friends, they refused to eat the king's food because it violated their laws. So you're never going to have courage that you need when big things come up if you don't have courage to do the small things. See, small is a new big. Small has always been big to God. Uh, don't despise the day of small beginnings. It's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. I think too many times we look at the big picture and we look at what we would maybe label big sins. But the sin of omission by not doing those little things and in integrity and when it doesn't cost you too much to say no, those things prepare you for the big things you'll encounter later. So the secret to true courage is to do the little things with bravery. I had to do one tonight. I did not want to get up and speak before the city council. I was a nervous wreck. And then I got my speech and I felt this incredible calmness and peace. Now, my mouth, I sure didn't need to drink water when I was talking, but it was amazing. And hopefully it had some level of impact. But I knew it was a preparation for my future. I had to do this thing that seems little before a small town city council. And it's like a hurdle that I was able to overcome, right? So don't think the little things you're doing now don't matter. God sees them. And he's also preparing your heart for the big. Uh, now, because they refused to surrender in something so small as food. They were uh, ready to for an even larger challenge to their fidelity to God. Um, I'm sure they've been tested many times in their new positions in his administration, especially him being a pagan. I'm sure they had to consistently do things every single day to maintain faithfulness to God. Uh, and it's a myth, actually, that you'll do the right thing uh, when it really counts. Because if you can't do the right thing when no one's looking, you won't do the right thing when everyone's watching. So then in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious uh, with the three that his face became distorted with rage. That's what it's talking about when I said image, statue being the same word. It's right there. 
He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, and then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Uh, so they tied them up. They threw them into the furnace. They uh, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. Okay, um, so distorted with rage is an Aramaic verb that refers to the difference that has become evident in something or persons. It's used in the extreme case, get this, of the human heart changing into the heart of the beast. What was the statue in Revelation? Of the beast. So, and later, you know, so here his heart has now been transformed into a beast state. And he, that's just reflecting like the external reality of him living as a beast for seven years reflected the internal reality of the heart of a beast already. See, this is what people don't understand. Let me give you a quick um, emotional intelligence marketplace work I do with my clients. Your internal reality determines your external. Happiness is not based on external. Happiness is based on three things. Number one, genetics. Um, 40% of if you're a happy person's genetics. However, you can turn genetics on and or genes on and off. Uh, so even that's not an excuse to be depressed. 10% is your environment. So that means your home, the people in your life, your work situation. So right now we have 40% that can be stewarded. We have 10% that's a very small amount. Leaving 50% is mindset. You've got Robin Williams who had everything he wanted. He fulfilled every goal and he committed suicide. So it's never all this out here. And Americans especially are really bad at externalizing everything, not realizing our external reality is a picture of our internal reality. So now we have a beast heart. He'll later actually live as a beast. Okay. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Favorite phrase right here. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Love that part. Okay, so obviously, you know, this is incredible. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of the story. But the Son of God met them in the fire. And because he's fire, his fire protected them from man's fire. Isn't that cool? I love that. Okay, um, now, not a hair singed. Their clothing wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, it's just amazing. All right, and then verses 28 through 30, we'll finish. The Nebuchadnezzar said, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. 
They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in Babylon. Now, obviously, they get <clears throat> promoted. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as we can tell from the distort, distortion from rage, he already has the heart of a beast. So his acknowledgement of a greater God over his gods doesn't mean a heart change, as we'll see later. Um, the decree actually in his, that he, you know, release still shows the violence in his heart because he says, that if anybody worships any other god, they will be torn from limb to limb and their house, houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. And so obviously that, you know, that's a despot. That's a, a tyrant's response. The need to control with the threat of violence. And uh, so it shows that um, his heart is still um, unchanged. And it can be flattering, but it's ab absolutely ineffective. True faith is a choice not a dictate. And so the beast is alive and well. So, you know, don't, don't be discouraged or surprised when your faithfulness to God and your faith in God puts you in direct conflict with those that you do life with, with those that you work with, with those you might serve alongside in government positions, wherever your sphere of influence is. Don't be surprised by that. It's going to happen. People are going to talk bad about you. People are going to come after you. People are going to try to get you in trouble. The main thing is how you approach it. If you are faithful to God and if you are faithful to his word, you will come out without smelling even like smoke. And everybody will see and you will be promoted. But we can't back down and we definitely have to use wisdom and we definitely have to use respect. Okay, so hopefully there's some good marketplace information in here. And I think what I'm going to do is, let's see, what time is it? I'm going to head over to um, the Hub Episode Training Center Facebook page. And I'm going to testify of a recent healing I got. So I don't want to do it on the end of this, but I do want to have it on the um, ministry's Facebook page. So if you want to hear of my recent healing, it'll be short and sweet. Um, head over to the Hub Apostolic Training Center. I'm going to go live over there. I will talk to you guys probably tomorrow on Urgent Education, maybe Saturday. I have a few things we need to discuss. Uh, be watching Brazil. Uh, we need to pray for our elections. I think they have some things up their sleeves. So I will see you guys either tomorrow or Saturday on that. And for those of you that follow me over, I'll see you in a few seconds.